This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. The story of this podcast starts in 1944 in a Crimea that was devastated by war. Russian soldiers who were helping rural peasants fell ill with a mysterious disease. They had fever, rash and bleeding. 200 of them were diagnosed with Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever. Since then, it has occurred in lots of countries, not just Crimea and the Congo. The disease is associated with significant mortality, so the stakes are high. To help us find out more about it, I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Tom Fletcher. Tom is a Wellcome Trust and Ministry of Defence Research Fellow at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. Even more importantly, Tom is peer reviewer of our BMJ Best Practice topic on this subject. So Tom, you're welcome. Let's start by asking, what exactly is this disease? So Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever, or, or CCHF as it's commonly referred to, um, is a severe acute viral infection and it's part of the viral hemorrhagic fever group and therefore has a, an appreciable mortality. Um, it's quite difficult to treat and unfortunately poses a risk to, to healthcare workers who are looking after it. And how would you recognise an affected patient? It's, it's quite difficult. Like many sort of tropical infections or, or other arboviral infections, it's quite difficult because it presents in a relatively non-specific way initially. So the common complaints are fever, headache, uh, and some arthralgia, um, like many other tropical infections. But then the characteristic thing about CCHF is that then people often progress to have bleeding and a bleeding tendency. And that's generally uh, bleeding such as uh, epistaxis or bleeding from the gums, but it can be much more dramatic with, with large upper GI bleeds. Uh, and that problem with, with lack of recognition um, because of its non-specific nature does make it difficult uh, in, in endemic settings to pick it up. Okay, and what countries or areas of the world is it most common in? So it's most common in and around Eurasia, and Turkey is really the epicenter of activity for CCHF in the world. Uh, they would report somewhere now between 500 and 1,000 cases per year. And other countries that report a lot of cases include um, Iran, Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan, uh, Kosovo. But more recently, there's actually been cases in Spain too, and not cases that were imported from other countries, but um, that were actually uh, endemic to Spain. And... Um, for travellers who may be travelling back for those countries, they might develop symptoms when they get back. Is, is that possible? I wonder what's the incubation period? That's right. So there are there are reports pretty regularly of travellers with CCHF travelling from endemic countries, uh, such as those we discussed, back to countries such as the UK or, or Europe or the US. The incubation period is a bit shorter than for other viral hemorrhagic fevers, where we say that the figure is up to 21 days, but generally in CCHF, it's less than 14 days and uh, and much shorter than that on the whole. Okay, th- thank you. And I, I wonder, are, are patients infectious during that period before they have symptoms? So no, patients aren't infectious uh, until they really develop symptoms later on in the illness course. So the general way that patients acquire this disease 
is, is through tick bite. Uh, and in Turkey, 70% of our patients report a good history of tick bite or through, its, um, through slaughter of animals and direct exposure to blood and tissues that way when the animals are viremic. So after exposure, patients gradually build up a level of virus in their system and then they get unwell. And then during the, the later stages of illness, when they have vomiting, diarrhea, and often hemorrhage, that's when they really become infectious and provoke um, a risk to healthcare workers uh, and other patients. Okay, so I, I'm guessing that as a result of that, these patients need to be referred to a specialist unit. Is that correct? They do. So in most countries where they see a lot of CCHF, uh, they have designated units and, and quite well thought out infection prevention control procedures to, to manage cases. It's more difficult, clearly, in a country that is doesn't see many cases of CCHF or, or other viral hemorrhagic fevers. But you're right, there has to be procedures in place to try and recognise these patients and then to isolate them from other patients and for staff who are looking after them to, to wear the correct uh, personal protective equipment. So the isolation measures need to be strict then, is, is that correct? They do indeed. Unfortunately, pretty much everywhere where CCHF has been reported, there has been um, nosocomial transmission uh, to healthcare workers and to other patients. So the first thing to do is to recognise this as a potential case and then confirm it, but at the same time to isolate that patient away and trying to protect healthcare workers. Okay, great. Thank you. That's very clear. And what tests would you do to confirm it? Um, so the best test is a PCR-based test, and, and most countries now have res- reference laboratories that can that have assays for for CCHF. Um, and so it's looking for presence of of the the virus, the RNA virus in the blood, is the way that it's diagnosed. Okay, thank you. And and moving on to treatment, is there any specific treatment um, for Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever? Yes, so treatment of um, of CCHF is actually quite a controversial issue. So everybody agrees that supportive care is vitally important. Uh, and in good settings such as Turkey, we can offer full intensive care layer support to patients and they do survive with renal replacement therapy and ventilation. However, for a long time, people have discussed the role of antiviral therapy for CCHF. And really that evolves around ribavirin therapy. So this has a bit more of an evidence base for Lassa fever and is pretty much the standard of care in West Africa for Lassa fever. But in CCHF, his history is a bit more checkered, and uh, there's quite a lot of debate about whether it's beneficial or not. Um, a recent meta-analysis that we did in the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine suggested a potential effect, but unfortunately a lot of the studies that we based the analysis on were sort of uh, had risk of bias and confounding. Okay, thank you. That's that's very helpful. And. And reporting the disease, I'm guessing that a disease like this would need to be reported to the relevant authorities, is that correct? That's right. So in countries in the UK, it's important to to notify the appropriate health authorities. And often patients uh, will be quite challenging to manage and need quite a coordinated uh, national approach to managing them. And then even in endemic countries where they see a lot of cases, they have a responsibility under the WHO IHR regulations to to report these diseases to. Okay, great. Let's move on to differential diagnosis. What are the common differentials and how can you tell it from these common differentials? So the differentials really depend on where the, where the patient has come from or where you are because there's also um, CCHF in Africa in, in many countries in Southern Africa. And clearly if you're looking at an imported case, 
And the main reason that people might think of CCHF is fever and a lower platelet count or a history of tick bite, as we mentioned. But the other diagnosis from Africa that clearly you have to consider with anyone with a fever and, and a low platelet count is malaria. And that's the, the diagnosis that will kill people relatively quickly if it's not picked up and treated. In other areas, colleagues of mine in Africa are always wary of missing a case of meningococcus, which may also present clearly with fever and uh, a low platelet count too. In terms of in Turkey or other countries that, ha that aren't endemic for malaria, the other differential diagnosis is other arboviral infection uh, and other things even such as Q fever that can present in a similar way. Okay, thank you. And are there any common pitfalls in the diagnosis and management of this disease? Uh, the main pitfalls in the diagnosis really is a lack of recognition. And this is where CCHF differs from a few of the other viral hemorrhagic fevers. Because people can bleed quite early, and actually when they have this bleeding tendency, which might be profuse epistaxis, they haven't got other markers of multi-organ failure like you might expect in a case of Ebola or in Lassa fever. And unfortunately, the pitfall there is that often the diagnosis isn't considered, and they then expose other professions such as ENT, surgeons, or, um, or even pregnant women who present with hemorrhage, uh, and, it, and as a result, obstetricians are exposed. And so the main pitfall really is lack of recognition and then causing transmission to healthcare workers. Okay, thank you. And apart from the questions that I've asked you, are there any other questions that you typically get asked about this disease by either patients or healthcare professionals? By patients, I think the common question that most patients ask um, is what is my prognosis in terms of what is the likelihood that I might have a severe course or, or even have a fatal course. And it depends where you are in the world with this disease in terms of what the mortality is. In Turkey, um, where we run large big cohorts of CCHF, it's about 5 to 10% of patients will die. But often the communities that are affected may know somebody's had this disease uh, and have had a fatal outcome before. In other countries, that mortality rate is much higher, up to 30 or 40%. And the reasons behind that aren't particularly well explained. In terms of healthcare professionals, not surprisingly, I guess, what they commonly ask me is, what should we do if we have a high-risk exposure? So if I'm looking after a case and I have a splash to my eyes, or if I have a needle stick, is there anything that we should do then? And whilst there might be debate about ribavirin therapy for treatment of this disease, there's much less um, debate about the fact that it should be used for post-exposure prophylaxis. So if they have that high-risk exposure, it's universally agreed that people should start ribavirin post-exposure prophylaxis. And from the limits evidence we've got, that should reduce people's risk of getting the disease or having a severe fatal outcome. Okay, thank you. And last question. I wonder if you had one single piece of advice to give to a healthcare professional about this disease. I wonder what would it be? I think if I was talking to healthcare professionals who who are considering an imported case of CCHF where it is an endemic, I would just emphasize the importance of taking that thorough travel history because most patients will describe a history of either a tick bite or direct contact with the blood or, or tissues of an animal through, through a slaughtering activity. So unless you take that travel history, it's, it's very difficult to pick up that case and then protect yourself. And I think for healthcare workers and others who are working in endemic settings, it's just to emphasize the importance of supportive care. We learned a huge amount from the Ebola outbreak and experience from Turkey suggests that if you look after people, including intensive care interventions, many of our patients will survive. Okay, thank you very much, Tom. And thanks to you all for listening. 
We hope that this has been helpful and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice or BMJ Learning and look at the content on this and other diseases. Thank you once again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.